from Eden by Fry, Volume 3, The Snowflake Collector. Chapter 5. He had abandoned the notion of hurry. With daylight hours gradually usurped by darkness now, and cooler, longer nights now spreading their still presence over the valley, the snowflake collector set about his endeavour. After the early snowfall towards the end of October, which had soon ceased and given way to one more spell of golden autumn with spice in the air. Winter had now been sending more heralds, tentatively at first, but unmistakably nonetheless, and welcome. While he knew now how to collect snowflakes and knew what things he needed to obtain and what things to make before he could do so, the snowflake collector was in no hurry. It had been many years since he had last allowed the world to impose on him any hurry, and it had revealed itself to him so futile then, so unnecessary and unnecessarily restless, that he had abandoned the notion of hurry altogether, never to seek it out again, or permitted to return. It would suffice completely, he knew, to collect one, maybe two snowflakes to begin with. Better, he thought to himself, do this, and do this well, than to rush into constructing a shed, indispensable as it would undoubtedly be, or making the sturdy boxes for the delicately crafted cases. No. He would simply build a case, yes, from wood he had already stored under the roof by the side of his hut, and he would cut some plates from glass he knew where to buy, and he would use some of the superglue that had been languishing in his toolbox for years, but never been opened, and he could collect one or two or maybe three snowflakes and see how that felt, how at home they would be in the case he would build. So when Janosch next wandered up the narrow path towards the end of the valley to sit outside the snowflake collector's hut and maybe nod hello at him, maybe not, he found him there in the late autumn sunshine soaring pieces of wood. He was not a master carpenter, the snowflake collector, but he had for many years now been living on his own in his hut and soon after moving here, he had purchased, for very little money, a small plot of land further down the valley, right by the stream, where there were already some firs, and where he now planted, for every old one he cut down, two young trees. And so he had, over time, gained enough experience making things out of wood to do so confidently and well. Janosch nodded what may have been a hello to the snowflake collector, and the snowflake collector understood and nodded back what to most people might have been barely perceptible, but to Janosch, with similar certainty, signalled hello. 
It would often be the case now that Janor would find the snowflake collector thus or otherwise engaged in preparing his collection. The snowflake collector never explained what he was doing and Janor never asked. As to both, it was obvious. But Janor enjoyed watching the snowflake collector at work because there was a calm determination and purpose to his labour. And the snowflake collector was at ease in these tasks for the very same reason. Sometimes Janos would hold up a long plank of wood or pass a tool or pick up a piece of glass that had fallen to the ground, but mostly he would just sit there and watch as the snowflake collector went about his new business. Having never collected snowflakes before, or anything else for that matter, it did not surprise the snowflake collector, and nor did it surprise Janosch, that everything did not go smoothly. The first case he built, although beautiful and smooth, with clean but not sharp edges and a convenient handle at the narrow top, turned out to be useless, as it was simply too large. It had looked in the snowflake collector's imagination and in his rudimentary drawings, which were not quite to scale, exactly right, but it came out not so. Once he had filled it with glass plates, each three inches long and one inch wide, it was too heavy for him to lift easily off his workbench, and so he started over again. He also realised only now that he would not, after all, need to build sturdy boxes for these cases. He would simply have to make the cases themselves sturdy enough, and for the cases he would have to construct a formidable shed, in which he would need to fit strong shelves evenly spaced. But there was no need, in reality, for another intermediate layer of housing for his snowflakes, just as long as the cases were sound. It was not until the second week of December that the snowflake collector was ready to collect his first snowflake. By then, he had made and destroyed a first case for snowflakes that had turned out to be unwieldy and large, and he had made and dismantled a second case, which had been the right size and shape, but in which the glass plates that were to hold the snowflakes did not sit snugly enough, but rattled when he closed the lid and lifted the case off the bench. And this, the snowflake collector was certain, would not do. Having dismantled the case, he then saw that there was no easy way to fix the inadequacy, say by adjusting the slot width for the glass plates, which had too much give. And so he discarded this second case too and made a third, better one. This he found when he slid in all the glass plates he had by now cut from large sheets of plain glass cutting himself several times in the process, and once very painfully so, to be, if not perfect, then sufficiently solid and sturdy and strong. By now there had been snowfall on several more occasions, but the snowflake collector was glad that circumstances had conspired 
and maybe he and his subconscious mind had conspired with them to make him wait until now, until very nearly the beginning of winter, before he commenced his immense undertaking. He was not a stickler for rules, and it would have disquieted, even appalled him, to know himself one who awaited the official date for the start of the season or anything else. But if there was one thing the snowflake collector believed to be true, then it was that to everything there is a season. And while he had not given it any elaborate or conscious thought, he felt instinctively that the time for collecting snowflakes had not come until now. Now, towards the end of the second week of December, with the feast of St. Nicholas already gone and the days in the valley short now and sombre when the sun wasn't shining and crisp and cold and still very short when it was, the snowflake collector woke up one morning from a night of fitful sleep with no dream that he could recall. And as he opened his eyes and glanced from his narrow harp bed to the small cross-hatched window, which in all the years he had lived here had never been curtained, he saw that there was snow on the sill and there were big, heavy snowflakes falling again from the sky, as there had been on that day when he had resolved to become the snowflake collector, which now seemed eternities in the past, but which was only, in fact, some six weeks ago, at barely the end of October. His heart leapt at the sight because he knew that this was the day, that the hour had come, that the convergence of all things leading up to now had finally made this now possible and real. With calm, serene joy, he rose from his bed, lit the fire in the stove, performed his rudimentary and no more than essential ablutions, dressed warmly, and went to the kitchen where, in a small freezer compartment of his small refrigerator, he had chilled a small stack of glass plates, much as Janos had instructed him to. With three of them he went outside, picking up from the kitchen drawer the small tube of superglue he had placed there in preparation, and in front of his hut he put everything down on his bench. There, he carefully dabbed a drop of superglue on a frozen glass plate and, holding the plate in his hand, raised his eyes to the sky.